Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10, 15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. We are a people of the Word of God. And um, so uh, it's one of the customs here at Central when someone has been baptized uh, into Jesus and into the community of the church um, and into this life that is walking by the word. We uh, have a moment where we present them with a Bible. And our brother Het was baptized a couple of weeks ago. Het, come on up. And Het, um, it's also our custom here to do um, pronunciation guides when we can, okay? So, Edvaryu is how I would say that. Is that correct? No, no, you tell me. You got to tell me the real way. This is, a, this is the chance. So, what you got? Edvaryu. That's exactly how I said it. It's not exactly how I said it, but it's, it's close enough. And um, horseshoes, grenades, and... The occasional name, right? And I appreciate your graciousness about that. And I appreciate the graciousness of your spirit uh, as you are among us in community um, and appreciate what it means for you to be a part of the church here. This uh, is just a symbol, really. Um, it's a symbol of what it means to be part of the community that lives by every word uh, that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, let's pray for you. And um, we're, we pray that as, as, you, as you live through this journey that Uh, This word will bear fruit in your life. Let's pray together. Oh God, we pray for our brother, Het. We are grateful for the word which has already been implanted in him. And we pray that this word would bear fruit and grow. And that gospel fruit would be uh, all around his life. And bless his neighbors and his friends and his family. and, and, And even those who might consider themselves his enemies. We pray that all of the fruit of that would be marked by your spirit and be evident as love. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Thanks. So this is my backpack. It's cute. It's little. I like it because I like to walk around and I like to take the things that I want. And I, like so many of you, I think, um, always think I need more books than I really do. When I go on vacation and pack in my uh, Rubbermaid tub, um, like Shannon Cooper does, when when I go, it always has more books packed in it than really should be in there. Last summer when we were at camp, Camp is coming up soon. And when we went to camp, um, Shannon had, I got there after him and he had unpacked already all the things. Do you remember this? You remember Shannon had essentially a library in our cabin at camp. Now, I want to say that all through that week at camp, I never saw Shannon open a single one of those books, okay? Did you? You read, oh, I did see Chad was reading one of Shannon's books. But 
I mean, you had to have 30 pounds of books, right? I mean, as you pack. And I do that too. When I go somewhere, I end up having, you know, several stacks of books. And this backpack, bless its little heart, prevents me from doing that when I'm going to go to coffee and I'm going to walk down from here to my, where my office is here, walk down to Nexus. It's, it makes me say, you know what, Hovatter? We're only going to take one book. <laughs> you know, we're just going to take the one commentary on Genesis and not the whole stack today. Nice. Light. It's just enough for the stuff that I need at any given moment. Sometimes, sometimes I've had to carry heavier loads. I'm in a fairly light season in my life in which the backpack doesn't feel as heavy on my shoulders, but I've had seasons. I've had seasons where it felt like I couldn't fit everything I needed in that little red thing. I needed the big camping backpack, right? The one that you take up on top of the mountain that can carry the tent and the cookware and the extra change of clothes and a lot of snacks. And then I've had seasons in my life where it felt like there wasn't a bag big enough. Where it felt like the stuff that I was carrying in that moment, Lord have mercy, it was just too much. Ever felt like that? I've also had seasons, and to be fair, I've had many, many more that were like this. That were seasons where, in which it felt like I felt silly carrying around my little backpack because my friends were walking right next to me and they were carrying hundred pound loads on each shoulder. I mean, how dare I walk around with this little cute thing. And my brother can barely take a step forward. I've felt embarrassed sometimes because of how load, how light my load was compared to the load that sometimes I see other people carrying. We are talking about friendship and we're talking about community. And this week I want to talk about burdens in community. Because part of what it means for us to travel the journey together is that we have attentiveness to what our brothers and sisters are carrying along the way. Attentiveness to what is, what is happening in the lives of those that we travel with what it means sometimes to say hey let me carry that pack for a minute with you right take some of the stuff from your pack and take it and put it in mine and then there are other times of course when you can't do that because somebody else's pack really is theirs to carry and you can only carry so much of it for them and with them there's a text for us in Galatians chapter 6, 
And it's one of those texts that I think bears reading and reading and reading and looking at it again and getting another view of it. It's a text about burden bearing. And I want us to read that together today. Because like every other week, we are in a time when we are kind of a mixed group of different burdens, right? And some of us have heavy, heavy loads and some of us feel like our bags are light. And this text helps a community like that think through that together. I want to frame it a little bit before we read in 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 chapter 6. I want to share some of the things that uh, come up to this because uh, Galatians, all through the book really, but especially chapters 5 and 6, there is it's kind of a greatest hits of Paul uh, sort of text for us. And many of the verses that you would read in here, if you, you would catch them by themselves and you say, oh yes, of, of course, of course that's in there. For instance, when um, Paul says in verse 16 of chapter 5, live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now that's That's famous enough. That sounds familiar. And if you get all the way down into verse 22 where it says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. My text actually said generosity, but I said goodness because of the song. Or if you look on down into chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap what you sow. So many of these texts in these chapters, these verses in these chapters have that kind of staying power. They have embedded themselves in our memory in good and useful ways. And sometimes when chapters and passages are like that, big passages, we can lose sight of the forest for all of those magnificent trees. And we can lose a little bit of a sight about what is being shared as a whole. Verse 13 of chapter 5, I think, gives us a little bit of that perspective. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not, you let, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall Love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. This is Paul's agenda in this big, large text. He's trying to help us think about what it means as a people of love as a community, a family of love to offer ourselves freely and generously to each other as servants. And so when Paul will later on, by the kind of the end of that passage, talk about uh, reaping what we sow, he's talking about the sorts of things that can be seeds of destruction, seeds of bitterness, seeds of envy and slander, all those seeds that can grow up to be really destructive forces. Or what he's saying is you can be a people who by the habit of your lives 
sows love with each other. And there comes a time, there comes a time when you reap the harvest of that, where you come into what it has meant. Pick all those fruits of love that have grown up in your life. So I think that's part of the agenda of what Paul is doing here is he's trying to help us think about what it means to be people who love well. I want to give one more way of framing this before we read this text. We're going to read just the section in chapter 6 between verses 1 and 10. That's going to be the part that we're really chewing on today. And I want to highlight three words that I want you to look for as we read this text together. Love, awareness, and service. Okay? I just want to put that out there and not give it too much yet, but have an eye out for those things as we read this text service that's Galatians beginning in the first verse my friends if anyone is did in transgression then you who have received the spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness take care that you yourselves are not tempted bear one another's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, then they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. And then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the spirit, you will reap eternal life in the spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at the harvest time. If we do not give up. So then whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all and especially for those of the family of faith. I love this text. I love everything that it offers us about living in community and it has so many layers to it. I mean, man, we could just chew on this one for weeks and weeks. I love that Paul takes seriously in this text the challenges that come with being a people who live in love with each other. And it's no simple thing. Notice that he can't just give you a one-size-fits-all sort of rule. Sometimes he says, all right, bear one another's burdens. You got to carry somebody else's burden. And then later on, he says, hey, everybody needs to carry their own stuff. 
Which is it, Paul? Yes. Yes. Notice how in this whole text, Paul is raising the issue of love. If somebody is caught in something that is sinful, they are, they are found to be in something that is destroying their life, then they should be, you can't just let the embarrassment of that keep you from taking action in love for your brother, in love for your sister who is in trouble. You have to respond. But you should do so in a spirit of gentleness, right? To do so with a spirit, not of just harshly and judgmentally, like laying it to them, like you've scored some kind of point against them, but instead with a gentle spirit, you help them move out of that sin. Or notice, of course, the carrying of somebody else's burden. And Paul says in that, that if you do that, that you fulfill the law of Christ. Remember, right? We read that piece from chapter five earlier. What is the law that he's talking about? The law of love, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says that one of the most the foremost ways you can do that is be in a space where when someone else is carrying a heavy load, they have a heavy burden, you do what you can to help out about that. The love is, I think, all over this text. It's what we do. It is the way that we respond in the last verse to um, every opportunity to seek the good of somebody else. And that's what love does. Love looks beyond one's own self and sees what somebody else needs and then it responds to that as best we can. It says, let me be concerned with the things that make you healthy and happy and whole. What does it mean to bless each other? That's what love looks for. I think it's important, though, that Paul also infuses this text with awareness. Well, you think that you're in a place where somebody else is in sin and you're going to be the person that goes and responds to them? Well, let you take care that you yourself are not tempted. And it might be that we would read that, and I think sometimes it's been read as a way of saying, well, hey, be careful if you, you know, you go... You go to the bar to help somebody else out. You just might decide you're going to have a few while you're there. And I, I don't think it's necessarily you're going to be tempted in the same way as that brother who's being tempted. I think when I am in trying to correct somebody, what are those biggest temptations for me in that moment? Arrogance, pride. I'd be grateful that that's not the, my problem. Paul says, have some awareness of yourself in that moment. Be careful about it. He also, in verse 3, for if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. Be careful. Don't deceive yourself. Have some self-awareness. Be about the work of testing your own work, right? 
Think about what it is that you are, that's in your bag that you're carrying. Have the awareness of whether or not you're kind of doing the work to carry your own stuff. Have some self-awareness about it. By the time we get to verse 7 in that famous verse about reaping and sowing, we've already had our share of being warned to do not be deceived. Of course, service is all the way through this. We are to look. Um, we're not to grow weary in doing what is right. We're not to um, you know, be uh, ignorant about the things that our brothers need help carrying with. And we are to find ways, especially the household of faith, it says, but even beyond that, in the, the, to everyone we meet, look for opportunities for doing good. So these three words, I think, frame this text. They help us find what Paul is after here. And they say a lot about what it means to be a people who have burdens that we carry and also a people who help each other carry the load sometimes. My deepest perspective needs to be that when my brother and sister are hurting, that I come and I'm present to that. And I find the thing that I can do to offer as some bit of healing. But I have to be aware of myself. I have to be at least aware that I'm not just doing it to make myself feel better. That I'm not just responding to my own feelings and my own needs. Be responsible, be responsible for what it is that's really going on inside of myself and then working out of that to help carry a burden. There have been times in my life I've been in a lot of funeral spaces. I just want to be really frank about this. Been really, I've been in that space a lot, and sometimes I've been in that space, and I'm, I'm, we are all so clumsy, and sometimes we gather around people that are mourning, and we just can't help ourselves. We feel like we have to say something. We don't know what to say, and so sometimes we just say stupid stuff. And I think the biggest reason why that happens is because in that space, we are trying to just clear off the things that we are feeling. We meet somebody that's grieving, and it makes us feel terrible. It feels awful. We just feel like we'll do anything to get some relief from that awful feeling. So I'm going to say the thing that I think can like make it better in that moment. And it doesn't. And sometimes we can say some mighty foolish things in trying to make, I think the most foolish things that we say are things that we say to try to make the hurt go away magically. And there's no magic. And so we end up feeling defenseless. I think when we're at our best, 
is when we come to each other and we bring our whole selves and we have some recognition of all of the complicated things that are inside of us and we can bring that to the table and then also see the other person and just say, I'm going to respond out of what you need, not what of, out of what I need. And our best response often those things is nothing that comes with any of the words. It's just with the simple gift of presence. The gift of being able to stand with somebody and say, I'm sorry, and I love you. What other words beyond that really add much more to the conversation? In what it means to stand with each other in moments of grief. And grief are just one kind of burden. They are not by any uh, stretch of the imagination the only kinds of burdens that people carry. But in moments of loss, the gift of someone who will love, desire the good of the other, who will be aware both of what's happening inside and outside of our own selves and put themselves in a place of service and do things that need to be done. All of that is a, a great gift. But it's not just in moments of grief and those kinds of loss. It can be in those moments where people are facing uh, challenges and they're not sure how they can get through one day to the next. It can be when people are suffering in a relationship matter and they just need somebody to stand with them, not necessarily fix it all for them, but just stand with them and be a person of love, of some awareness and who offers service. And so many of the different challenges of our lives, we just need people who will walk the road with us, who will stand in solidarity and say with us, we will walk with you, we will help you carry it when we can. More than anything else, we're just going to be present and love you as well as we can. Any community, any community comes to moments where all of those burdens of life are so evidently not evenly distributed. And we come to moments where we have a season, a season of what it means to like give extraordinary service to one another. Sometimes we have seasons where we are the ones, where we are the ones who find that our bags are too light and somebody else's seems like it is way overpacked. And we need to be the people who respond and say, I will serve you in this way. I will carry the load while I can with you. And then some days we find that we go through seasons where we just need somebody else to help us. And there's no shame in being in that place either. In fact, it's that give and take that really marks the Christian community, that provides the kind of awareness and love that deepens who we are over time. 
I had a good friend that would sometimes say, it's actually Nathan Bill's dad, Steve. Uh, Nathan's one of our missionaries, missionary to Ghana. And Steve would say that you will go through times in your life where you are the person that needs to be the giver. And you have times in your life when you need to be the taker, when you need to be the receiver. And in a healthy Christian community, we're all moving through those times at different moments. And sometimes it's really hard. He didn't say all this. I'm kind of off him now. Uh, sometimes it's hard because those of us who have been used to being the givers come into a time where we have to be the taker, where we have to be the receiver. We don't know how to do it. And then sometimes there are those who are among us that sometimes get into such a habit of being the receiver. They don't really know what they have to offer to give. We have to help each other find those ways, help each other find those things. Says, I really do believe that in the community of the church of God, that the spirit moves within us so that we help each other. Everybody gives, everybody receives. Not always at the same level and not always at the same time, but that's the life over and over and over again. A little bit of giving, a little bit of receiving. I think that's what the formula for friendship actually looks like. I had a silly thing happen yesterday. We were invited to um, a crawfish boil, you know. And uh, I mean, I've had my turn. I've, 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 I've eaten the crawfish. But my California girl over there hasn't had that experience. <laughs> and you know, it's a weird, you guys eating the crawfish? Y'all fans? Yeah, well. And it's a weird thing to do. It's a weird thing to do. And you need to have a few tips of how to do it, right? You need to know how to get in there and get that. You know, it's a lot of work to get that little bitty, you know, pinky worth of meat that you get out of one of those crawfish. But we ran into a pro. And so standing on their front porch yesterday as we were getting ready to leave and go to the crawfish boil at somebody else's house as we were getting ready to sample that southern delicacy. Uh, James Metters. Took time to tell Kelly, hey, here's how you do it. And you wouldn't, you couldn't have a better expert, right? So much giving, so much receiving, so many burdens that need to be carried. There are certain among us 
who should be held up. And not, you know, the Meadows are among those. People who have made such a habit of whenever they see someone in need, they respond to it. Bless them, man. And sometimes you come into a season where you need something on the other side. What else can we do but just try to help each other get through it? One day at a time, right? Being attentive, in love, giving service when we can, being aware, seeing each other. One of the moments of my life where I had some pretty profound grief. And I remember, I, I, you know, I remember standing in the office. I was working over at Pleasant Valley at the time. And I remember getting the word that my um, grandmother had died. And I remember getting out and just having that awkward conversation where I walked. I was going to my car or, you know, and I just came out and I said, hey, you know, guys, I'm going to be leaving for a few days. Why? And I remember my friends there in the office just surrounding me and I was weeping and uh, and I talked about my grandmother a few a few days ago, um, a few weeks ago, and about the incredible person that she was in our in our family, such a calm and meek person. We went home, went down to Florence and, and stayed there for um, the funeral. And after the funeral, we went back to um, our, uh, my granddad's, my grandmother's house. We went back into, that, into their house, and we, um, we found what we would always find uh, at grandmother's table. Now, I mean, grandmother's table is, for me, as uh, you might guess, uh, a place of some serious eating over, t- over time. And we've had many, many, many lovely meals. But when there wasn't an incredible meal um, at grandmother's house... There was always a puzzle. Over time, uh, Granddad, who really was the puzzler in our, our family, I should show you guys. Um, granddad, because it was something that was so important to our, our family, he actually took one of those puzzles, and for each of the ki- each of our grandkids, he like took one of them and framed them. And so this is one of my prized possessions. This is honestly, in terms of like physical stuff that I own, this is maybe, um, maybe one of the most precious things that I own. And it's got, uh, you know, it's a granddad and a, and a grandson. They're sitting and watching a football game, roll tide. You can see in the end zone that he's scoring at Auburn, which makes it that much sweeter. And the picture itself is, reminds me of sitting and watching games at my granddad's house when I was growing up. There's just a lot of my family story in this picture. But it also reminds me of, this is my, you know, my granddad passed away a few years ago as well. And it just reminds me of so many times going into their house, there was always a puzzle on the table. Always a puzzle on the table. And so we went back to the house after grandmother's funeral. And of course, my granddad's in the midst of some serious grief. It was a hard, hard, hard 
time. My grandmother had died suddenly, no expectation of it. And, um, and he, you know, he didn't really have, know what to do with himself. And so our whole family went in there into the dining room and we just started putting the puzzle together. My brothers and my uncles, uh, my aunts, my granddad, we just sat there at the table, piece after piece after piece, making jokes about how granddad should start doing the 500 instead of the 2,000, you know? Some just times of silence. Nothing really happening but the click of the puzzle. And then some laughter. And then some just conversation about what would happen when we went back up to Arkansas. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of laughing and a little bit of grieving. I will never in my life forget that after doing that for a couple hours, we got to the end. And doggone it, if there wasn't one piece missing. And I felt so desperate. I felt so desperate. Just have it like it was supposed to be. And we tore the, the house apart. <laughs> and finally we found it. But man, I'm just going to tell you, I, the finding it was its own thing. But like, I know in our hearts that that moment with me and my, my family sitting there together and just this profound awareness of what was forever gonna be missing in our lives, I'll never forget it, never forget it. And when I went back to that table the next week, right? Or as we gathered and we, the puzzle was cleared off and we, we were sitting down together and to eat, Y'all, there's always, whenever we sit at that table, there's always gonna be something missing from that day on, and we all knew it. And yet it was also the place where we were profoundly present to each other. And there was something incredibly significant about having that moment, that moment at the table that was both an awareness of absence and also an awareness of presence. You know what I'm saying? And so it is that we come today at the table of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that when we gather at the table with each other, we are proclaiming 
the Lord's death until he comes. Aware both of the loss and the reunion yet to come. When we come at the table of Jesus, we can both freely be profoundly aware of God's presence with us and also aware that we are awaiting that presence made whole when he comes again. We know absence and presence all together at the same time. Isn't it so? So sometimes we come at the table and we take the bread and we take the cup and we are aware and we're trying, but it doesn't feel like anything's happening. And sometimes we come and we are so moved by the presence of God among us. And sometimes we come and we are so aware of the other people in the room. We are aware of what's happening with our brothers and sisters that have something going on in their lives. We're aware of somebody maybe that's visiting in from out of town and we haven't shared this table with them for a long time. You know what I'm talking about? And then you take that communion with them and you're so aware of the people that are in the room with you. And sometimes we come to the table. And our profound awareness is of the people that are missing. And this too is what it means to be part of the family of God. In the book of Hebrews, the writer is speaking about it, what it means to come to the assembly of God. It says this, you have not come to something that can be touched a blazing fire, a darkness, a gloom, a trumpet, the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. That's all a reference to Sinai. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying. Hey, come on up. <laughs> there are kids at the table too. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we may need an uncle or two to help here. Here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Always remarkable how fast Tammy Beck is. Quick, quick person. Verse 22, this is Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
when we come, when we come to take the bread and to take the cup, we come and meet Jesus, the one who gives us his body and his blood. And we come to each other who sit beside each other, who walk beside each other, who carry each other's burdens. And can you believe it? We come to join all those who have sat at the table before. Whether they died in the first century at the hands of the oppressive Romans or whether they passed on in our lifetime and we miss them personally and dearly. We come together to come to the people of God through the ages. Whenever we come to take communion with each other, we come to a mighty long table. As we take the bread and the cup here, if you haven't had a chance to get one of these, if you'll raise your hand, we have some folks that are ready to serve you and make sure that we can all do this together. Today, as we take this body, this bread and this wine that represent the body and the blood of Jesus, let us remember that we are part of a long, old family. And let us proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. O giver of all good things, we have gathered again at your table May we see and discern the body of Jesus, which is made up of our brothers and our sisters, that is made up of those who have gone before us, and which is broken for our sake. In Jesus we pray. Amen.